Hi, this is Ben Thompson, the author and founder of Stratechery. Welcome to the Stratechery Daily Update podcast, where I read you the daily update. You can also read the text of the daily update or find the links I reference by visiting the show notes in your podcast player. Now, here's today's daily update. This daily update about Shopify Shop, Shopify's reason to exist, and Google's earnings was published on Wednesday, April 29th, 2020. Good morning. I generally like to publish the weekly article on Tuesdays. I debated waiting a day to publish the anti-Amazon alliance, though, because Google was reporting earnings on Tuesday afternoon. I wish I had, not because of Google, but because of Shopify. On to the update. Shopify Shop, from TechCrunch. While Shopify is best known for powering the online stores of more than 1 million businesses, the company is launching a consumer shopping app of its own today, simply called Shop. The app is actually an update and rebrand of Arrive, an app for tracking packages from Shopify merchants and other retailers, which the company says has been used by 16 million consumers already. Shop includes those same package tracking capabilities, but it also allows consumers to browse a feed of recommended products, learn more about each brand, and make purchases using the one-click Shop Pay checkout process. Carl Rivera, the general manager of Shop, told me that the app is a response to a broader shift not just from desktop to mobile commerce, but also from mobile web to native mobile webs. The challenge, he suggested, is that most of us only download and shop from a handful of native apps, so it can be hard for an independent brand to launch an app of their own. What we want to do with Shop is give them a place to call their own, Rivera said. I have to be honest, I am pretty skeptical about Shop the App's prospects. Start with the good. Repurposing Arrive is certainly a clever growth hack particularly since notifications are arguably the single most compelling reason to have a native app. The actual experience, though, falls apart pretty quickly. Some issues are likely 1.0 bugs. I couldn't sign up with an email address, for example, because the link sent to me never worked. But the bigger problem is structural. Here are Shop's three tabs at first launch. See image. The reason the first two tabs are empty is because I haven't bought anything from a Shopify store with my account email which was the alias produced by signing with Apple. Remember, signing with email didn't work for me. I didn't try the Gmail integration. If I had, tracking would be in the first tab, and product recommendations from stores I've purchased from the past would be in the middle. No matter, you can search, so let's find some shoes. See illustration. Do you notice what is happening? Shopify, naturally, is servicing stores that start with shoe. I say naturally because Shopify is, after all, an infrastructure provider for stores. If you got it, flaunt it. From a consumer point of view, though, this makes no sense at all. Shop giving me stores that start with the word shoes is like Google giving me a website about HDMI cables when I want to learn about the coronavirus. After all, I typed in COVID. See image. Yes, from a certain perspective, this is a bit unfair. The app is clear that the search functionality is for stores, not apps. Why, though, would or should I think to follow one of my favorite brands in an app named Shop? It would make far more sense for Shopify to build a white-label app experience for its merchants that lets me find an app experience for a brand where I expect to find it, in App Store Search. This discovery mechanism is at the wrong level of the stack. This gets at an important point I should have made yesterday. In addition to discovering products through advertising and finding products through search, the strongest and most differentiated brands get customers to come to them directly. Shopify provides the infrastructure for all three, but Shop.app, by making itself the one app to rule them all, only gets in the way of the best and most differentiated brands. 
Yes, it is hard to get users to install apps, but brands are going to be much more successful in the long run than Shop will. To that end, even if the shop.app search functionality worked on a product level, if shoes brought up Allbirds, for example, I still wouldn't really see the point. 16 million users is nice, but only Google is operating at a meaningful enough scale to make a difference. That is why Google's announcement was much more important to the fortune of Shopify's merchants than this app will be. Shopify's reason to exist. Bill Gurley had a very good tweet thread about e-commerce that was nominally about China, but is very relevant to the recent Google and Shopify news. It starts like this. Spend time on the phone this AM with a super smart early stage investor friend in China. Interesting to hear about so much innovation around social shopping and new e-commerce models. There are two missing pieces of the ecosystem in the U.S. that is slowing this type of innovation. The Chinese ecosystem has two things the U.S. doesn't. Competitive programmable payments and competitive programmable logistics. Startups in China can build upon the core infrastructure with an API call, cheap easy payments, and same-day, next-day delivery. This is why I was very excited last year about the announcement of the Shopify Fulfillment Network from Shopify and the Power of Platforms. Quote, notice, though, that Shopify is not doing everything on their own. There is an entire world of third-party logistics companies, known as 3PLs, that offer warehousing and shipping services. What Shopify is doing is what platforms do best, act as an interface between two modularized pieces of a value chain, see illustration. On one side are all of Shopify's hundreds of thousands of merchants, Interfacing with all of them on an individual basis is not scalable for those 3PL companies. Now, though, they only need to interface with Shopify. The same benefit applies in the opposite direction. Merchants don't have the means to negotiate with multiple 3PLs such that their inventory is optimally placed to offer fast and inexpensive delivery to customers. Worse, the small-scale sellers I discussed above often can't even get an audience with these logistics providers. Now, though, Shopify customers need only interface with Shopify. End quote. This is the proper point of integration for a platform. It is the job of merchants to acquire the customers. From earlier in that article, quote, At first glance, Shopify isn't an Amazon competitor at all. After all, there's nothing to buy on Shopify.com. And yet, there were 218 million people that bought products from Shopify without even knowing the company existed. The difference is that Shopify is a platform. Instead of interfacing with customers directly, 820,000 third-party merchants sit on top of Shopify, and are responsible for acquiring all those customers on their own. See illustration. This means they have to stand out not in a search result on Amazon.com or simply offer the lowest price, but rather earn customers' attention through differentiated product, social media advertising, etc. Many, to be sure, will fail at this. Shopify does not break out merchant churn specifically, but it is almost certainly extremely high. That, though, is the point. Unlike Walmart, currently weighing whether to spend additional billions after the billions it has already spent trying to attack Amazon head-on, with a binary outcome of success or failure. Shopify is massively diversified. That is the beauty of being a platform. You succeed or fail in the aggregate. End quote. Inserting the shop app between merchants and end users runs counter to a platform strategy. That is the approach of an aggregator, of Amazon. But the entire reason to be bullish about Shopify is that they are taking an approach Amazon cannot. That gets to the real problem with the shop app. It is not simply that it will likely fail, But more importantly, it is a distraction from very real problems that Shopify is uniquely positioned to solve. Instead of competing with its own merchants to see who can do a better job of acquiring customers, Shopify should be pushing even more aggressively on its fulfillment and payment initiatives. Merchants are not a point of leverage for Shopify to build a consumer brand. They are Shopify's reason to exist. And no growth hack is going to change that. Google's earnings. From the Wall Street Journal. 
Google's parent posted strong results in what the company called a tale of two quarters, with a head start in advertising earlier this year making up for the crunch of the global pandemic later. Alphabet Inc.'s results add to indications that Silicon Valley might weather the economic slowdown better than others in the corporate world. One heavy caveat. Alphabet executives said that company performance fell off sharply as the coronavirus crisis accelerated and cautioned that they couldn't predict how the coming months would turn out. Chief Executive Sundar Pichai said that March produced a significant and sudden slowdown in ad revenues. The question of how big tech companies will fare during the pandemic is where I am reminded of the fact that I am first and foremost a strategy analyst, not a financial analyst. I don't know how much revenue the crisis is going to cost Google or Facebook or anyone else, and frankly, I don't care that much. What stands out to me is how much more powerful the crisis is going to make the big five. CFO Ruth Porat said in her prepared remarks. On a daily basis, our products play an important role for consumers and businesses globally. This has been evident throughout the crisis and the usage metrics that Sundar referenced earlier. We're humbled that users continue to turn to us as much as they do in a time of global need and uncertainty. We take that responsibility very seriously. Users clearly are depending on us to provide useful and accurate information. They're looking to YouTube for information, education, and entertainment constantly as they study, create, and work from home. They are using our G Suite products to collaboratively communicate, connect, and work. Although users may not be focused as much on purely commercial activities right now, over the long term, the value we provide to billions of users globally serves us well. Our previous investments in technical infrastructure ensure that we have the capacity and resilience to meet the increased demand from our users in this extraordinary time. I am reminded of the debate around GDPR. Sure, Google and Facebook would be hurt. That's why they opposed it. But everyone else would be hurt worse, strengthening Google and Facebook's long-term competitive position. That is what happened then, and the same thing is going to happen now. One thing worth noting was the divergence between direct response advertising and brand advertising on YouTube, again from Porat's prepared remarks. YouTube advertising revenues were $4 billion, up 33% year-on-year. Significant YouTube revenue growth persisted until late in the first quarter, with different performance trajectories for the brand and direct response components. Direct response continued to have substantial year-on-year growth throughout the entire quarter. Brand advertising growth accelerated in the first two months of the quarter, but began to experience a headwind in mid-March. As a result, by the end of March, total YouTube ads revenue growth had decelerated to a year-on-year growth rate in the high single digits. It makes sense that direct response marketing would hold up better. It's right there in the name. Direct response advertisers depend on advertisements for revenue directly because ads lead directly to conversion. To stop advertising is to stop doing business entirely. Brand advertisers, on the other hand, are making investments for the long run. Or, to put it another way, brand advertisers advertise in the past so that they don't need to advertise now while still generating revenue. There was a similar dynamic with Snap's earnings. CEO Evan Spiegel said on Snap's earnings call, We are seeing some bright spots amongst direct response advertisers, especially those who provide activities or products that our community can enjoy at home. In the short term, we are shifting sales resources and pulling forward some investments in direct response to better serve the advertisers who are trying to reach our audience during this time. 
While it is difficult to predict the near-term impact of this unprecedented, complex, and global pandemic on our business, we believe that all of the long-term indicators we see in terms of our audience, their engagement, our momentum on product innovation, our auction dynamics, and advertiser ROI position us very well for success. Our deep investments in direct response advertising over the past few years, including advanced bidding and campaign management tools, ad formats designed specifically for mobile apps and e-commerce, and back-end performance optimization have positioned us well in this uncertain environment. This is a reason to be relatively bullish on Facebook, who report earnings this afternoon, and relatively bearish on Twitter, who report tomorrow morning. The daily update is intended for a single recipient, but occasional forwarding is totally fine. If you'd like to order multiple subscriptions for your team with a group discount, please contact me directly. Thanks for being a subscriber and have a great day.